Hi, and welcome to That's Ruddy Mysterious, a podcast of short tales about true mysteries. What happened to the Flannan Isles Lightkeepers? Who was responsible for the Gardner Museum heist? I'm not going to solve those mysteries, but they'll be interesting to learn about. I'm your host, Kelly with an I. Transcripts for all episodes can be found at thatsruddymysterious.wordpress.com. No apostrophe and no exclamation point. Today's tale is about the Yuba County Five. On the night of February 24th, 1978, five men from Yuba City, California disappeared. It was a cold and stormy February night. Before he left home, Ted Weird's grandmother told him he'd need a coat. Ted responded, Oh, Grandma, I won't need a coat, not tonight. He didn't know how wrong he was. Ted Weir was 32, Gary Mathias was 25, Bill Sterling was 29, Jack Madruga was 30, and Jackie Hewitt was 24 on the night they disappeared. All five had developmental disabilities or psychiatric conditions. All five lived at home but were independent enough to go out alone. The men were referred to as the boys by their loved ones. They all enjoyed sports and played basketball together at the Yuba City Vocational Rehabilitation Center. On February 25th, the five were set to represent their community at the Special Olympics, and all five were very excited for the game. The winners would receive a week-long trip to Los Angeles, which all five were excited for. They knew they'd win. Gary and Jack had served in the U.S. Army. On that cold, stormy February 24th night, all five men piled into Madruga's turquoise and white Mercury Montego. They were headed to a basketball game at the California State University at Chico. Chico is about 50 miles or 80 kilometers from Yuba City. After the game ended, the men stopped at Bears Market, about three blocks away from the university, for candy bars and chocolate milk. They purchased a Hostess cherry pie a Langendorf lemon pie, a Snickers bar, a Marathon bar, two Pepsi sodas, and a quart and a half of milk. Witnesses saw them drive away in Madruga's Montego. They were headed south toward Yuba City. The trip home was a straight shot south down Route 70. That's when they disappeared. Imogen Weir, Ted's mother, awoke at 5 a.m. on February 25th. She hadn't heard Ted come in during the night, so she went to his bedroom to see if he was there. Ted's bed was empty. Imogen called Bill's mother, Juanita. Juanita had been up since 2 a.m. waiting for Bill to come home. He never did. Bill was missing as well. This was the first time any of them, save for Gary Mathias, had ever stayed out all night. At 8 p.m. on February 25th, the men still hadn't returned, so Jack Hewitt, Jackie's father, called the police. On Monday, February 27th, a U.S. Forest Service ranger found an abandoned turquoise and white Mercury Montego in a snowbank on Mountain Road in the Plumas National Forest. The car was about 70 miles, or 112 kilometers, from Chico. The ranger first saw the car two days earlier but believed it belonged to skiers and didn't think much of it. The car was in a state. There were snack wrappers all over it. Everything the men had purchased in Chico had been eaten except for half the marathon bar. It was about 50 miles or 80 kilometers in the wrong direction. The keys to the car were missing. 
There were four maps in the glove compartment. The gas tank was one quarter full. Strangely, the undercarriage of the car had no dents or scratches. The road leading here was bumpy and full of potholes and branches. It would have been very difficult to get to where the car ended up without any dents or scratches on the undercarriage. This indicated that either the car was driven very carefully up the mountain road or the driver knew the area well. Madruga's family said he was the only one that ever drove the car and that he was unfamiliar with the area where the car was found. When the police hotwired the car, the engine started up immediately. There were indications that no one had tried to push the car out of the snowbank. The police said that with five men, the car could have easily been pushed out of the snowbank. The car was driven up Mountain Road and into a remote forest. It was driven through about 10 inches of snow. According to the men's families, none of the men were familiar with the area. None of the men were dressed for winter conditions. The families couldn't come up with any reason for the men to be on that road. A search was quickly organized. A blizzard hit the area, leaving nine more inches of snow on the mountainous road and pausing the search effort. Two of the search members had to be rescued. After five days, no trace of the men had been found. The search was abandoned. The same day that the search was abandoned, Joseph Scones came forward. He said he saw the men and their car on Mountain Road on the night they disappeared. Scones was a 55-year-old man from Sacramento, California. He had driven up the road the night the men disappeared to check on his cabin. That's when he became stuck in a snowbank himself. Scones was trying to push his car out of the snowbank when he suffered a heart attack. He went back to his car to lay down. He lay inside his car in agony for hours. Around 11.30 p.m., Scones saw headlights on the road behind him. Scones sat up and saw some men standing in the glare of the headlights from that car. Then he said he saw a woman holding a baby with the men. He yelled to the group for help and the group stopped talking and turned off their headlights. Two hours later, Scones saw a flashlight outside of the window. He again yelled for help and the flashlight went out. Early in the morning on Saturday, February 25th, Scones was finally able to walk. He walked down the mountain for help, passing the Montego, which now sat dark and empty. The five missing men became known as the Yuba County Five. Months after their disappearance, there were several reported sightings of the men, but none of them were ever confirmed. The families offered a reward for information that led to finding the men. The reward was never claimed. One of the parents of one of the men said, we definitely feel something has happened, but we also feel they are alive. On Sunday, June 4, 1978, motorcyclists were driving through Plumas National Forest when they stumbled upon a deserted Forest Service trailer in the woods. The trailer was at the end of Mountain Road where the Montego was found. The motorcyclists went inside and made a grisly discovery. Ted Weir's decaying body was laying on the bed inside the trailer. He was wrapped in sheets. The once tall, handsome, husky man who had stood 5 feet 11 inches tall and weighed 200 pounds, was now about 100 pounds. On the table next to him were his items, a ring engraved with Ted, a gold necklace, and a wallet with money inside. Strangely though, there was also a gold watch which did not belong to Ted or any of the other four men on the table. Ted's beer growth showed that he had lived inside the trailer for between eight and 13 weeks before eventually succumbing to starvation and hypothermia. 
Ted's shoes were missing and his feet were frostbitten. Investigators said Ted had walked through almost 20 miles of snow to reach the trailer. He had then broken through a window and opened and ate from sea ration cans that had been stored in a shed outside. Twelve cans were found open and eaten. The cans had been opened with a military P-38 can opener, which only Jack Madruga and Gary Mathias would have known how to use, so at least one of them must have also made it to the trailer. There was a locker in the shed that had been full of dehydrated meals, fruit cocktails, and enough food to keep all five men alive for a year. The locker was not broken into. Inside the trailer were matches, propane, and paperback books that could have been burned, but there was no sign of a fire having been started. There was also no evidence that Ted ever left the trailer. Investigators never found any trace of a woman or a baby having been with the men. Monday, June 5th, 1978, brought with it some more grisly discoveries. About halfway between the trailer and the car, investigators found the bodies of Jack Madruga and Bill Sterling. They were about 11.4 miles, or a little over 18 kilometers from the car. Animals had devastated their bodies. The two men had died of hypothermia. Jack Hewitt joined the search. He himself made a terrible discovery. He found his son's backbone and shoes about two miles away from the trailer on the same road where Madruga and Sterling's bodies had been found. Hewitt's skull was found the next day about 100 yards or 91 meters away from his backbone. It's unknown if the three men had reached the trailer with Weir or not. About a quarter mile or 400 meters from the trailer, three forest service blankets were found alongside a rusted flashlight. Tennis shoes belonging to Matthias were found. It's believed that he took Weir's leather shoes, which were larger and better suited to the cold. Gary Matthias's body was never found. His father believes that the only reason the men wouldn't have started a fire is if they were worried they'd be found out. In addition to the strange gold watch found about three quarters of a mile, or a little over one kilometer northwest of the trailer, investigators found a disposable lighter that didn't belong to any of the men. The lighter was never explained, but there are a lot of ways it could have gotten into the area that may not have had anything to do with the Yuba County Five. Jack Madruga's mother, Mabel, doesn't think the men would have gone off into the woods without reason. She said, There was some force that made them go up there. They wouldn't have fled off in the woods like a bunch of quail. We know good and well that somebody made them do it. We can't visualize someone getting the upper hand on those five men, but we know it must have happened. Weir's sister-in-law thinks the men may have seen something at the game that got them into trouble which followed them up the mountain. How did the Yuba County Five end up on an unfamiliar road deep in a remote forest? Why did they abandon a perfectly operable vehicle? Who were the people that Joseph Scone saw on the road the night the men disappeared? If it was the men, why did they turn off their lights when he called out to them? Why didn't the men try to break into the locker filled with food? Why did Ted Weir freeze rather than start a fire? Where is Gary Mathias? What do you think? If you're listening on Spotify, scroll down and let me know what you think. Thanks for listening to today's episode of That's Ruddy Mysterious. I'm your host, Kelly with an I. If you enjoyed this episode, leave a review and follow That's Ruddy Mysterious to be updated about new episodes. Tune in next Tuesday for another thought-provoking tale.